So you know you could you could take you could take your woman out and your honey out for a little little nice event this evening at four thirty, and then you got plenty of time for for dinner, and then Monday, uh, the next day, if that's if that's what you want it to be, yeah. Uh, but I encourage you to come. Um, I made the mistake in the first service. So let me see how many of you are on, on board here. I made the mistake in the first service of talking about how, uh, you know, the, the Bible seems so uh, patriarchal just as you kind of go across it. But how, you know, the first, the first two weeks that we've been in this, uh, in this series of people meeting with Jesus, that they're both women. Uh, and there's a lot of woman stuff in the Bible. But I was wrong. Because that wasn't who we did the first week. Uh, the first week wasn't a woman. Does anybody remember? Well, that's just so many people here. It's why two of you remember it. Yeah, it was. Yeah, Nicodemus. So my with my apologies to Nicodemus. Uh, anyway, at 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 this rate, uh, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. There 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 are places in this that I just have to smile. But this story lifts me up and just encourages me so much. Would you stand with me? We're going to read. The passage of Jesus' encounter with a woman in Samaria, it's a fairly lengthy passage, but it's a good story. It's a good story. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, 
A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the life that's in your word. And the truth that's in your word. And I pray that that life would be in us today, Lord. Be in the words that I speak as they go forth. Be in our ears as we listen. Be in our hearts as you mold and change us into what would bring you pleasure and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Jesus started this conversation by asking uh, this woman for something that she could easily give. Uh, Will you give me a drink? The four most empowering words that you can say to anyone are, will you help me? And that is the first line that you fill in on your outline there. Uh, Because it's important for us to remember this. You see, we're brought up in a culture where that's not, we don't do that. And in fact, it's pretty much, uh, hey, I can, I can, I got this. I can handle this. Don't help me. I can take care of this. And in fact, whenever we bring the gospel to people, we generally come to them with a sense of, you need me. I got something you need. And in a sense, that's true. But don't you know that when you approach people, especially a stranger, especially somebody you don't know, especially somebody who's not just scraping the bottom of the barrel, when you come to somebody with the attitude that I got something you need, their tendency immediately is to go, oh, really? You think, huh? And so Jesus didn't start out with this woman that way. Jesus started out saying, you got something I need. Can you help me? Can can you do something for me? And as you approach people, as you're approaching people in, in in this culture that we live in, as you're approaching people and you're trying to, uh, to share the gospel and share the life and the love of Jesus Christ. These are, these are, these four words are important words to remember. You can, you can draw people into a conversation. You can get them on your team. If you come to them and say, you need to be on my team, they're going to go, no, I don't. I got my own team. But if you come to them and say, I need you on my team, they kind of go, yeah. Let's do it together. When I was, uh, well, a lot of people are shy, and I'm no exception. <laughs> true. It's true. Now, you know, I mean, I, I'm not talking about getting up and, and, uh, and, and preaching. That's, that's a whole different deal. But I'm talking about put me in a room full of strangers, and especially if it's a room full of strangers and everybody's trying to impress everybody. You know, I mean, I, I just, I tend to shrink into a little wad. Sit over in the corner. Uh, but I had a friend, oh, 30, 35 years ago. I still got him, but he lives in Cincinnati now, so that's the other side of the world. And uh, 
named Harry Raleigh. And Harry taught me what to do in those situations. Harry would come into a situation like that, room full of strangers, and he'd walk up to somebody and go, Hi, I'm Harry Raleigh. Who are you? Brilliant! <laughs> Incredible! Where did this guy get this stuff? Yeah. And so I began to kind of imitate what I saw him do. If you can, if you can do those two things, Hi, I am... Don't say Harry Raleigh, but, you know, I, I am whoever you are. Who are you? And, and don't just say I'm blah, 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 because most of the time they'll just go, hi. Toss it back in their court. Who are you? Yeah. Of course, the older you get, you have to kind of go, what was that again? <laughs> but, you know, if you can do that and say, can you help me? Then you can win people to Christ. You're on, you're on the way. You're on a roll. Anyway, uh, so Jesus speaks to her like this, and she plays the race and gender card with him. You're a Jew. I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink of water? You know, God is rarely rattled by the race or gender card. None of those tend to bother him very much. He's pretty well acquainted with just about all of the branches of humanity. And he created them male and female in his own image. Let me give you some setup here for those of you who don't know. The Jews despised the Samaritans. I was going to use the word hate. They didn't hate them. They despised them. Just something different. It said Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Well, Jews in general did not associate with Gentiles, but they really didn't associate with Samaritans. There was some history there. And the, and the history is really kind of centered around the fact that we have a strange tendency as human beings to, uh, to degrade, to use as a degrading term the term half-breed. And that's really ironic since the word purebred is another term for inbred. (laughs) It's also kind of ironic in that every single one of us are purebred because we all come from one ancestor. And every single one of us are half-breeds. When you get right down to it. I mean, even those Jews were, you know, they, they just didn't know it or they wouldn't acknowledge it. But the truth of the matter was, yeah, they had, they were mudbloods. They had some of that mixed in there with them. And we all are. I, I remember growing up, my, my mom would always, I'd say, where were, you know, where, where are we from? What are our ancestors? Well, we're English and Irish, you know, and, and at that time, even in the fifties, it was kind of like English and Irish. Oh, that's kind of cool. That's like, that's like cousins. no. No, that's not like cousins at all. Uh, in, in fact, the, the, the English were like conquerors of the Irish, and they sort of looked at the Irish as, as Samaritans, you know, when you get right down to it. And, and when my ancestors from Ireland first came to this country, they would go many places where they would see signs, literally, that go, no Irish. Yeah. And then I married Margaret, and so... God help my kids. They've, they've, got, they've also got Welsh and German, and who knows where those Germans came from. And, and I mean, you know, I, I have to wonder about a place that names their country Germany. 
I, I, forgive me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, but no, I, you know, I mean, and so our kids are even, I mean, we got, we got, we got a healthy bloodline going on. Let me tell you, we got, we got all the mixes in that now. And our grandkids have got some Filipino in them now. And woohoo, they, they're just, yeah, this is, we can dance. We can sing. We're handsome. We're, we're everything. Cause, cause we got all of this, all of this mixture going on. But that's, that's not the tendency that we as human beings have, you know, the pure race. Oh, get over it. So anyway, here's the deal. Who were these Samaritans? Well, they were, they were worse, really, than your, than your general mixture of races to the, to the Jews. Uh, let me give you a, a quick history. Most of you are aware of the fact that King David ruled over, well, Saul ruled over all of Israel. David ruled over all of Israel. Solomon ruled over all of Israel. But after Solomon, the kingdom split. And Solomon's, uh, Solomon's uh, son, Rehoboam, uh, ended up with the southern kingdom called Judah, the kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom, with most of the tribes, was the kingdom of Israel. And a guy named Jeroboam took, took that. Uh, so the house of David was over the kingdom of Judah. Other houses, there were several different dynasties that ruled over the kingdom of Israel. And this went on for several hundred years. And then in 722 B.C., the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom, was, uh, was conquered by the Assyrians... And Shalmaneser, the, the emperor of Assyria, deported all the people, took them to, to, to various places throughout his empire. And after he deported them out, he sent in people from, uh, from other places in the empire, from the east, people from uh, Babylon and people from other kingdoms. And 2 Kings chapter 17, if you want to find out where they're from. There are places that he conquered and he sent them there. Well, they ended up in Israel and they weren't worshiping the Lord, and the Lord sent lions among them. And so they sent word back to the king, we don't know how to please the God of this land, and he sent lions among us, so we need to learn how to worship him. So uh, Shalmaneser sent uh, a, a, a priest to teach them how to worship the Lord. And so they, these people from all these other nations began to worship the Lord as they lived in Israel. And they... Uh, kept their own gods, worshiped the Lord. Over time, the Lord kind of became the main God, the one they, they, they ultimately forgot about the other gods and were, you know, the Lord is our God. Now, you also have to believe, you also have to know that these, these tribes that left were deported by the Assyrians. The Bible doesn't tell us what happened to them. And so that's given rise to all kinds of legends and myths and stuff about the lost tribes and Really, anytime you hear somebody go, these are the lost tribes, they don't know what they're talking about. They're just making something up and they want to, want to talk about it. But, uh, the truth of the matter is, I gotta, I gotta feel like most of those lost tribes ended up coming back to Israel. I mean, that's what I would think. Let's take a vote. How many, how many of you think a bunch of them came back to Israel? Okay, and how many of you think not? All right, it's, it's 700 to 1. So, you know, it's, I know you, you're just messing with me. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, so what you got here is you got these people from other nations. You got the, the, the Israelites who kind of had abandoned the true worship of the Lord coming back. Uh, and then when the, 
when the, the kingdom of Judah was taken into captivity to Babylon, when they came back, some of, the, some of them could not trace their bloodline all the way back. And I imagine some of them ended up immigrating to the north. So what you got is you got up here in the north, all of these, all of these people who really aren't of the true line. And yet they're claiming that they worship God. And to the Jews, that was just intolerable, unbearable. And so that's the situation that Jesus comes into. <laughs> and this woman herself was also not, uh, not only was she a, Merit- a Samaritan, she wasn't a woman of uh, probably very good reputation in her town. I mean, she'd been divorced five times, and she was living with a man that wasn't her husband. Now, you know, small town, five-time divorcee. I mean, she probably held the Guinness record in that town. And now she's living with a guy who's not her husband. You don't want your kids hanging around with her. And that's why she's coming to draw water at noon. The sixth hour. That's not when you want to go draw water. There are a whole bunch of reasons not to go draw water at noon. First of all, when you get up in the morning, you're what? Thirsty. So that's when you want to go draw water. Is the very beginning of the day. And it's not as hot and everything. Or you might want to draw it in the cool of the day to get ready for the evening. But noon... Only people who go out then are the people that nobody else wants to be seen with. And so that's who Jesus is talking to. And Jesus says to her, will you give me something to drink? And she gives him lip for it. And the conversation begins. If you only knew who you were talking to. When I say the conversation begins, actually the journey begins. Starts here for her to come to know Jesus. Very few people have Damascus Road experiences. We tend to think of salvation in those terms because of uh, the uh, evangelical background that we have. But very few people have one of those experiences where they, you know, come in one night and I'm, I'm, they're so drunk they go to hear the preacher and, and they get convicted and they get saved that night. You know? No, for most people it's this step, then that step, then this step. And slowly but surely, they come to know who he is. Jesus says, if you knew who it was you were talking to, you would ask him. And he would give you living water. And she replies to him, and I have to smile at this one. Are you greater than our father Jacob? And she's not saying it like, are you greater than Jacob? No, she's saying it like, are you greater than Jacob? That's the greatest person she can think of. And she's talking to God here. And I think Jesus, you know, kind of in the back of it, if I'd been Jesus, I would be tempted to go, oh, Jacob, yeah. But, you know, he kind of lets that ride. Are you greater than our father Jacob? This well is deep. You have nothing to draw with. He's the one who who gave us this well. (laughs) And you're going to give me living water. and You don't have anything. Jesus says, well, people who drink from this water, not really talking about this kind of water, because whoever drinks from this kind of water gets thirsty again. It reminds me of, uh, of John chapter 6, after Jesus had fed the 5,000, and they came to him the next day, and, and they're saying, feed us again. And he's going, sure, I'll give you real bread. No, 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 uh, Moses gave us manna in the wilderness. And Jesus said, yeah, Moses gave you manna in the wilderness, and your forefathers ate of that, and they're all dead. 
I'll give you manna. I'll give you bread that you can eat of and never die. See, there are practical, very practical advantages to the gospel in the here and now. And, and, and most people, that's what they want to hear. And we can, we can definitely give them that. But we're not limited to the here and now. There are invisible advantages. There are advantages that are, that are out there in other dimensions. There are advantages that are out there in eternity. There are, there are advantages that are out there that we can only begin to imagine and dream about here. And they're real. They're real. Jesus says to him, I got, I got water that you'll never thirst again. Now she's interested. Give me this water so that I won't have to keep coming here and, and drawing water. So that I won't have to, to go through the embarrassment and the shame every day of, of slinking out of town and sneaking out here by myself to, to draw water. And I won't have to do this hard. Water's heavy. I won't have to do this hard work. And it reminds me of Jesus saying, come to me, everyone who is weary, everyone who's heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. And so Jesus has her interested now, and he brings a word of knowledge to her. He says, you've had five... Well, actually, no, before he does this, let me, let me go back here, because I like this. I, I like what he did to her. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, she says, yeah, I'm ready for some of this water. And he says, great, go get your husband and bring him back. <laughs> you, know, you know, inside, he's kind of, he knows what's going on. Yeah, he's, and she's going, I don't have a husband. Ah, you're an honest woman. You answer truthfully. <laughs> You've had five husbands. Fantastic. And you're living with a man now who's not your husband, but at least you're telling the truth. Kind of. But it's a word of knowledge that he uses there. And over in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there are nine gifts of the Spirit that are listed that people who have the Holy Spirit residing in them can have on these gifts. And most of them we understand. Most of them are pretty, pretty simple on the face of it. I mean, the gift of healing, we know what healing is. You know, the gift of miracles, yeah, we, we know what a miracle is. But, but a couple of them are... Uh, get a little confusing in people's minds. The gift of word of wisdom and word of knowledge. Kind of go, well, okay, you know, what's the difference? Well, it's very simple. Uh, there's a very clear difference between them. Wisdom is knowing what to do. And a spiritual gift of a word of wisdom is not going to school and learning how to design a, a lighting grid and then going and designing a lighting grid. No, uh, a, a, a spiritual gift of wisdom is the Lord giving you understanding about how to do something that there's no way in the world you should have any idea how to do this. A word of knowledge is the Lord telling you something that there's no way in the world you can know. And Jesus used it several times. He used it, used it several times in, in, in his ministry. Over in John chapter 2, when, uh, when Philip brought Nathaniel to him and Jesus said, Here comes an Israelite in whom there is no guile. And he goes, well, how do, how do you know me? He said, well, I saw you uh, sitting under your fig tree when Philip went to get you. And Nathaniel goes, really? You saw me under the fig tree? Ah, you are the son of God. Jesus, and, and you know, Jesus had to scratch his head a few times in his, in his ministry. And I think that was one of them because he, he said to him, you say I'm the son of God because I said I saw you under a fig tree? 
It's amazing what touches people's lives. It really is. And then when he went into town that day and saw the little guy hanging from the tree and went, Zacchaeus, I need to go to your house today for supper. Come on down here. How did he know that was Zacchaeus? Word of knowledge. Same thing with this woman here. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is because, well, first of all, let me, let me say this. Uh, the word of knowledge is not the seal of authority that this is God because the devil uses it too. He does. Uh, when Paul and Silas went to Philippi and they were preaching and uh, the, the fortune-telling girl was following them and going, these men are servants of the Most High God. And finally, Paul had had enough of it and then he cast that, that uh, demon out of her and she couldn't tell fortunes anymore. Goes, well, what's wrong with that? I mean, she was, she was telling the truth. No, no, this is what was going on. This demon was trying to latch on to their, uh, their, their validity, to their, to their authority. So what she was saying is, these guys are servants of the Most High God and, and I'm on their team. No, you're not. Get out of here. And so sometimes the, the devil brings a word of knowledge because really any spiritual entity could bring a word of knowledge that would amaze us because, I mean, the devil knows what drawer you keep your socks in. You know, there, there are things that it could say that kind of blow your mind. The, the seal of authority is the message that follows the word of knowledge, the message that is brought. When the devil brings a word of knowledge, he brings it to condemn you. He brings it to, to, to beat you down. He, he brings it to lead you to death. When Jesus, when, when God brings a word of knowledge, he uses it to bring you to life, to lead you to life. That's why Paul said uh, to the Galatians, I believe it was, that if, if someone comes preaching another gospel to you, I don't care if it's, a, if it's myself or an angel from heaven, if someone comes preaching a go- another gospel to you, let him be condemned. Let him be eternally condemned. So, but, all right, here's what I want to say to you, though. You can have a word of knowledge. You know Christ? You got the Holy Spirit in you? You, you have the fullness of the Holy Spirit? You ever, you ever ask God to baptize you and fill you with the Holy Spirit? If you have, then those gifts are available. And you may kind of go, oh, well, no, I don't. Well, actually, there's really two kinds of people here. There's, there are those who are kind of going, well, I, I don't know if I'd want to do that or not. Uh, if I'd have the guts to do that or not. Uh, and then there are others who are kind of going, really? Where's the woo-woo? Yeah, I want to do that. Yeah. Don't be either one of those. Just be real. Just, just live. Just, just go through it. You get to a situation where you need to know something to tell somebody. God will put it on your heart and you'll kind of go, really? Okay. Hey, uh, do you have, uh, and, and, and the Lord just opens that door. That should be functioning in our lives. You want to know where the revival is? You want to know what the pushing is? Those kinds of things need to be happening. They, they, they need to start happening. Uh, anyway, so he gives her this word of knowledge. It blows her mind upon being convinced that he is a prophet. The first thing she wants to do is argue religion. I'm in the, I'm in the presence of a prophet. All right, let's get it on. You Jews say that you have to go over to the first church to worship, but my, my, my father said we can go down the creek and worship. Now, which is it? If you saw Jesus, what would you say to him? 
Now, if he came as Jesus, I mean, we would all just worship. But if he came as a guy asking for a glass of water, you know, arguing religion is one of the strongest weapons in the devil's toolbox. It really is. And, and, it's, and it's totally pointless when you get right down to it. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy uh, 1, 3-4, and he, and he said, I, I urge you to stay there and command people to not teach false doctrine and not devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies that promote controversies rather than the work of God. The work of God is by faith. And then later on in, in chapter 6, he wrote to him and he said, uh, uh, he warned against having an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy and strife and malicious talk and evil suspicions and constant friction between men of corrupt minds who've been robbed of the truth. Truth is Jesus Christ. Do you know Christ? Well, you know, I grew up in a church that that did it right. We baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Who do you baptize in the name of? Oh, you baptize in the name of Jesus, do you? Well, I don't, you know. Who cares? As long as you get them in there. You know, that's why I say in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, in Jesus' name, we do both of them. We got, we got it all covered here. Well, we go to we go to a church where they where they clap and they and they and they really worship the Lord. Well, we go to a church where we keep Lent and we light candles and we really worship the Lord. We don't have that show, you guys. Who cares? Here's what I have discovered over all of these years, and I'm older than most of you. I have and I've been in church a lot. Uh, what I have discovered is that every style of worship has phonies in it. And every style of worship has people who are just, that God looks down on and goes, yeah, that one's mine. Yeah. Every single one of them. And so the, the woman, when she finds out Jesus is a prophet, she, she, wants, to, she wants to argue. Uh, let me just say one other thing. When cultures collide, oh, let's see. Am I, am I getting ahead of myself? Get your glasses back on, Ronnie. Yes. Yes, I am. Jesus Believe me, woman, time is coming and has now come when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. It won't be about the name of the church above the door. It won't be about the style of worship that's going on in there. It won't, it won't be about, you know, whether they're one-cuppers or, or multi-cuppers. Is that what you are when you pass out a bunch of cups? God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. That is the kind of worshipers that the Father desires. God is not a man. He is not impressed with the things that impress us. He is spirit, and he has placed spirit within each of us. When the Word says that he created them male and female in his own image, that doesn't mean that God looks like a man or a woman. It means like that every man and every woman has spirit put inside of each one of them. An eternal, living, creating spirit. 
And that's the thing that God is after. I finished a book this last week uh, about that great old saint, Kit Carson. And uh, he actually was, he was, he was a believer, he was a strong believer. But he, uh, uh, really the book was about the, the great Southwest, but it was told through the eyes of his life. And it was about, uh, uh, you know, the, the Anglo culture coming in and colliding with the Hispanic culture and the various Indian tribe cultures that were all around there and, and just the mess that it, that it was. But one of the things that I found very interesting, and I, and I kind of knew this already, but this, this book really borne it out to me, is when cultures collide, it is interesting, it, it's, it, interesting situations occur as you begin to realize what each culture values. Because a culture will come in and they'll want to take over a land or an area because they value something in it that the people who are living there kind of go, really? You want that? Gold? It doesn't taste good. It can't, it can't keep you warm. It does not make a good fire when you're cold. You want that? And various other things. And the thing is, when God invades us, when He invades our world, when He invades our culture, we look at the talents and we look at the intelligence and we look at the beauty and we look at all that stuff and kind of go, oh, this is what God wants and God's going, get that stuff out of the way. That spirit. That's what I want. That's what I've come for. That's what I desire. And when that spirit combines with his truth, true worship happens. Those are the true worshipers who worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And so the woman finally comes full circle. She starts out with, you're a Jew. And she gets to, are you greater than Jacob? You're a prophet. And she finally says, I know that Messiah is coming. And I'm getting some suspicions that, well, I'm getting some suspicions. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus said, yeah, you're looking at him. I who speak to you am he. And we didn't read it because I felt like this was probably about as far as we could read, but I love what happens next. What happens next is she goes into the town. She's gone from you're a Jew to are you greater than Jacob to you're a prophet to you might be Messiah. And she she goes into town and goes, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. This could be the Christ. I love it. I love it. We, we, when, when, when we ask, who was the first evangelist? Usually the answer is, well, it was Andrew. Because Andrew went and got Peter. Well, Andrew was a, he was a, a, a personal evangelist. Who was the first mass evangelist? Who held the first outdoor crusade? It wasn't Peter. It wasn't Billy Graham. It wasn't Don McCain. It was a Samaritan woman who had been divorced five times and was shacking up with her boyfriend. And she goes in, and I'm not saying that, so therefore we all need to get divorced and, and go, you know, 
But what I am saying is when God comes into your life, things change. They change big time. Seriously, I mean, one, that woman goes out to that well, uh, an outcast in the town. She comes back into the well proclaiming to everyone, I found the Christ. And they came out and they, and they listened to him. And they said, well, will you stay a few days with us? And Jesus said, yeah, I will. And, and then they finally said to her, well, you know, we, you're right. We no longer believe just because of what you said, but we've heard him for ourselves. And this man is the son of God. You got that right. And don't you know her status in that town just did a 180 in a matter of just a few minutes? When God comes into our life, when he gets a hold of that spirit, things change. Things change. I, I had a, a fella who came to me, oh, this is over 20 years ago, here at the church. And I've mentioned this a couple of times. There was a, there was a, a, a gentleman at the church. He and his wife had been here for a number of years before I came. And, and I asked him one Sunday, I said, Brother Carl, I, I, I need you to help us usher. Will you, will you usher today? Oh, no, Brother Ronnie. I can't do that. I've been divorced. You know, and my heart just bled for him. Because, you know, and God didn't tell me to push it. And so I didn't. I went, no. No, that's not, that's not the end of it. Uh-uh. You're still, you're still, you still got a pulse. You still got a spirit going on in there. God takes us where we are. And he uses that for something that, beyond our comprehension. Whatever your past is, and I'm not just talking about when you were a teenager, those of you who aren't, I'm not just talking about when you were a teenager, I'm talking about last week. Whatever your past is, God's ready to carry you beyond that and use it to rock this world that you're in. Would you stand with me? Yeah. Would, it, would, the, uh, would the elders and, and their wives and uh, staff, would you guys come and, and pray with uh, people, those of you who are going to pray with people? Now, here's, here's the thing. If you need help, if there's something you need help with right now, these people are down here to help help you to help pray with but they can't do anything until you come and go will you help me those are the four most empowering words in the world and if you'll come and you'll go will you help me i need help would you will you pray with me will you will you lift this up to the throne with me god will do some stuff he really will wherever two or three are gathered together He's there with them. If any two of you on earth touch and agree and believing anything, it's yours. You can have it. But you got to come and ask to empower them. Now, if you don't need help about anything, I need your help. They need your help. If you'll worship, we're going to worship for a few minutes, wait for people to come. And your worship sets up an atmosphere in which the Holy Spirit can break chains and set free and heal and deliver and provide we need your help so there's there's two kinds of people here those who are ready to help and those who need help
Let's, let's do it. Let's do it.
what makes you want to go out and do something. That's, you know, this is, this is a wonderful place to be, but this isn't where it gets done. Out there's where it gets done. Raise your hand. Let me give you a blessing. And the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, place within you a spirit of boldness, spirit of confidence, spirit of courage. May you, everyone that you encounter, may you be able to bring to them life and truth. May you be able to bring to them joy, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Because He's so real in your life. Jesus Christ, our Lord.